0: Welcome to Wood Talk. Now, here are three guys who think true grit starts at 220. Mark, Shannon, and Matt.
4: <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, it just never gets old. I love those uh. intros. Okay, well, it's Wood Talk. It's episode 441, and uh, the date is June 25th, 2018. Now on today's show, we got a ton of stuff here. Uh, getting that vintage cherry look, building movie furniture, how to prepare the shop for the summer, low angle planes, outsourcing finishing, air dried versus kiln dried lumber for a bench, and our critique of bad critiques. And before we get to that, I do want to thank our sponsor of today's show, our good friends over at Bruso Hardware. Yay, you know Brusso. They're awesome. Great hardware. Well, they are the premier manufacturer of American-made brass and stainless steel hardware with customers using these products for a variety of projects ranging from boxes to furniture to cabinetry. Bruso has the perfect item to complement your next project. Sign up for their newsletter to also keep up... uh, Wait, oh, I screwed that up. Oh, darn it, Mark. I'm the worst at this. Okay, so sign up for their newsletter to keep up to date on sales (laughs) announcements. (laughs) Customers submitted photos and more. Shut up, Matt. It's not that. It's funny. bad
5: because I have no idea you screwed up because I wasn't gonna pay attention. You, know, you
4: guys never do, and you probably shouldn't, but I you know I can't just let it go and pretend like it didn't happen. So check this out. All you need to do is go to bruso.com. You could see their full line of hardware, and you could use the coupon code WoodTalk at checkout and get ten percent off your first order. It's a fantastic deal, some great hardware. You want to go check it out. I do believe I'll be using some. Uh, some of their hardware on the door on my executive desk. I'm going to have a, a glass door on the right side and I think uh, some beautiful straight knife hinges would be perfect for that.
5: Oh, you're still working on that?
1: Jeez, mm. come yeah, on. I don't need knife hinges since they did that 40% off. Our, yeah, you're good for I'm, a I'm while. I'm swimming in knife hinges. <laughs> you're I'm filthy. Like Scrooge McDuck and a Filthy and of knife, knife hinges. hinges. Yeah, it's good stuff.
4: All right, well, uh, thank you, Bruso, for sponsoring the show. Please go check them out, bruso.com. You know, support the companies that support us. They really deserve it. They're very nice. I like them. Okay, so this is almost all voicemail today. We do have a couple of emails, but let's run through some of these voicemails. A lot of them are from last week as well, so um, people have been waiting a long time to hear their voices. Here we go. This one's from, you're going to see a theme in our first three here. This one is from Matt.
3: Hey, Mike, Sharon, and Malik. This is Matt from Missouri. <laughs> I really don't understand why you didn't quit when you had the opportunity, but... Since you're here, I guess I'll go ahead and ask a question. I'm trying to understand why woodworkers will cut a piece longer than they actual, actually need uh, when making a project. Um, I've seen several woodworkers on YouTube, uh, yes, and I do understand the ramifications of that statement, mm-hmm. um, who will cut a piece longer than then they need, and then trim it down to its final size later. These are woodworkers who are using high dollar equipment. It can't be that they're afraid of the uh, the machines they're using, not doing an accurate job. So I'm just curious to know why um, you would cut a piece longer than you actually need uh, while making a project and then trimming it down to its final size later. Um, thanks for answering the question. Keep up the good work.
4: So I think it depends on what part of the project this is happening and it might depend on who you're watching that's actually doing this. Everybody might have you know different uh, workflows but I know for me, when I cut a piece long, it's typically in the rough state. I'm going to cut it a little bit long and then I will not cut that piece again until it's ready to be fit into a project. So it's oversized because why would you cut a piece of rough lumber to the final length? You want that little bit of breathing room so that you could finalize your measurement once everything else is milled down. So like the very last thing that I'm going to do to a piece is trim it to its final length. So that's me. Do you guys think he's talking about something other than that that people are, are doing?
5: I can I can comment on my own practice on this. Uh, it's, I guess in some cases, it's exactly like what you said, Mark. Uh, in other cases, if I need, like, let's say I need uh, two three-foot-long pieces and I have a seven-foot board, I'm just going to cut that board in half and just have little pieces of offcuts because I don't really need a one-foot board for anything. That's going to mm-hmm. save me from cutting that one-foot board in half to throw it in the fireplace. Okay. You, go, you get what I'm saying with that one? Yeah, I do. You mm-hmm. feel that one? Uh, I feel um, uh, that. That's usually my, my, my intention there. Otherwise... If I have the extra stock there, I can shift my grain left or right a little bit if I want to uh, vary it. Because when you clean it up through the planer, you can get a much better idea what the final grain is going to look like. And having the extra stock there allows me to shift it back and forth to get, you know, just to tweak the grain appearance a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: I got yeah. a lot of times I have a stock anyway; it's just going to go in the scrap bin. Yeah, hmm. uh-huh.
1: you know, I, I know a lot of people who leave stuff long because they have a snipe problem and they just too lazy to fix the snipe issue yeah sure (laughs) yeah yeah for me it's all about relative dimensioning like i don't know how long it needs to be like how long is that rail i don't know whatever the space is between those two case sides right you know and until i've joined together those case sides some other way um i don't really know from a hand tool perspective nine times out of ten the ingrain surface is totally unimportant like think about a rail with two tenons on either end it's the shoulders that are the reference joint, not the end of the board. Mm-hmm. So I'll purposely leave it long, get my shoulders to length, and then I'll I'll turn my the you know, the tendons off later. Um, so yeah, the, the length is usually a secondary issue for me.
4: Well, and I think even if you just think about like the knowledge that general generally as woodworkers, we we walk around thinking, Well, if I cut it too short, I'm screwed, right? Yeah. yeah. Like so, we have it in our <laughs> heads to never cut a board shorter because you can't put wood back. So I guess if we're all going to sort of err on any <laughs> cautionary side, it's going to be to keep the boards long. Just yeah.
1: you know, just but, to be safe. And this this trails back into that whole cut list issue. Like one of the reasons I don't like cut lists is because people will follow them. Yeah, you know, and they'll trim all your parts because you're you're in milling stage. I'm going to trim everything to length, and there are tiny little errors that happen over the course of a project that compound to suddenly you know, that board that you cut exactly to to length is now an eighth of an inch too short. Mm -hmm. Um, And you check everything and it's all square and it's like, I don't know what happened, but you know, you ended up a 30 second short here. You you compressed it in the clamps and now it's a 64th of an inch shorter. Well, that 64th adds up and suddenly now you've got a board that's too short. And in order to pull it together, your case is out of square. So Mm -hmm. it's just insurance.
4: It is. Yeah, I sent a, a cut list to the people who are taking the class with me at Mark Adams. And I said, look, here's the cut list. In bold letters, please do not cut or mill your parts to final dimension. We will do that together in the class and this way everyone will be consistent. So please leave your stuff wow.
5: oversized and we'll see there's, how there's many do be that I'd. one person.
4: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, you go in the corner and we'll have someone else <laughs> have someone else deal with you. Uh, all right, let's get to our next email from a guy named Matt.
0: Hey guys, this is Matt Holman from Holman Woodworks. Hey, I called a couple months ago and... uh Asked the infamous silver maple question where Shannon was wrong about lumber, which <laughs> struck us all and surprised Ocean. us. Anyways, I uh, got a little bit of feedback. Like I said, Anna, or a question. The feedback um, you guys talked a couple episodes back about adding a helical head and or a bird cutter head to a joiner or or a planer, and rather that it could possibly slow down the motor, the motor, excuse me, and that it cannot work as well. Um, I actually did that to my 15 inch um, stand up jet. Um, and upgraded the head from the, I think it's like a three blade to the helical head. And I found that it cuts great and it does really well, but it does slow down the motor, even to a point where if I'm milling um, consistently, you know, large amounts, not taking even huge cuts, that it'll actually shut down the motor and shut it off because it just probably gets too hot, um, which is quite a pain Um, Anyways, just a little feedback for that. Uh, Question for you, Shannon, since uh, it seems like the last time that Matt or Mark used a low-angle plane, I was watching Matt cut carrots with his low-angle plane. (laughs) Um, Anyways, I got a question about low-angle planes. I'm looking for a good low angle, and I'm wondering if I should just go with some sort of standard Lee Nielsen or Veritas, or should I go one step farther and get a low angle rabbiting plane um, I know that kind of an all around plane is, I guess is what I'm looking for I know Veritas makes one and it's kind of designed for large tenons uh, getting in the corners of large large tenons maybe in like timber frame joinery Or, uh, but anyways, if I'm looking for like an all around low angle plane, is it too much to ask it to also be a rabbiting plane or am I trying to get one tool to do too many different things? All right. Hey, thanks guys. Love the show. Thank you for not quitting.
4: (laughs) All right. Before you answer that, Shannon. So the helical head thing, that's interesting. There's a person who actually has a slowdown issue with an upgrade. It's good to know because I think we kind of poo-pooed the concept, but looks like there's a, the proof
1: is in the pudding. We have one data point, point. one point of data.
4: Yes, that's good. panic.
1: everybody, sell your helical heads. One data <laughs> I'm going to
4: go change mine back to straight knives because, <laughs> frankly, I'm nervous. Uh, um, but what do you say about his uh, plane question?
1: Easy answer, Matt. I think you're trying to push it too far. Um, the the general all around plane, the number of times you're going to need it for that, like inside corner cutting, is just too small to justify that. And honestly. Just get a low angle jack. Get a Veritas or Lee Nielsen low angle jack. And there's so many other tools that could do that inside corner cutting that the rabbit could do that would probably get more use, like a rabbiting block plane or just a wooden rabbit plane that will do the same quality of job. You know, what we're talking about is like breadboard tenants. You know, a jack rabbit plane would be great on breadboard tenants, Or if you're making like lots of wainscoting for like an old time carriage because that's what they were. They were carriage maker planes. I just don't see that the, the, the what's a case study is strong enough to go one step further.
4: Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So we got the next one here from, oh, who is it? Oh, it's Matt. <laughs> Again? Hey, guys. This is Matt from New Jersey. Uh, what are your opinions and what are the pros and cons of using air dried lumber instead of kiln dried for a Rubo workbench? Thanks. Okay, mine's kiln dried. I don't have access to air dried most times, so I don't really have a choice.
5: Do you think it really matters at all? My bench hasn't fallen apart yet. If that's like the that's the, the overall theme of what air dried is supposed to be like, apparently.
4: But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, there's one data point. So
5: everyone everyone likes to poo poo air dried. I love it. Really. Oh, Still, I know like when I first
4: started woodworking, there was a lot of that. Oh, make sure you're using kiln dried lumber. And uh, over the years, it seems especially with the like slabs becoming a thing, it seems like people are a little bit more like I don't know. I don't hear much as much talk about that, like whether it's air dried or kiln dried. It's just as long as it's acclimated and isn't like dripping with water, most people <laughs> seem to be okay with it.
1: Yeah, probably because it's this, pretty in easy this to pick particular- this particular application of a Rubo though, the Rubo is incredibly tolerant of wood movement. If you think yeah. about it, it's a slab top with some just legs that go into it. There are no aprons or anything like that that you can get pressed. There are stretchers down to the bottom, but the top can expand and contract without causing really any issues at all. So pff, you could I think you could build it at green lumber. <laughs> That'd be
4: great. That'd look good. Go for it. As always, like so. get the lumber you can get the cheapest. So yeah. what's cheaper for you, buy that. MDF MDF workbenches are great
5: it's your favorite I heard
4: that it is that it is that's what they say on Instagram <laughs> okay uh, let's see we got the next one here from our, our good buddy Bob DeVries haven't heard from him in a while Matt? where's Matt no we, the Matt theme is over um, oh, we have done three mats right. in a row and that's good enough
6: hey guys this is Bob from Holland hey I got kicked back for each one of you Mark in reference to that domino tool that you love so much Um, I broke down and bought one myself. And the reason I did it was because I had a sewing table that I was going to make for a friend. And I decided to base it off from a federal style sideboard. A lot of mortise and tenon was going to go into it. And as I started, it just wasn't working for me. I just, I, I can't pull it off to the quality that I want. And so I was looking at it and I thought, let's do it. Let's get that domino. And I'll never look back. I thoroughly enjoyed making the table. I think the table looks good. I don't feel any less of a a woodworker for it. I still have to understand all of the components that are going into it. And oh, by the way, tip of the hat to uh, Shannon for his rule joint uh, class in the apprenticeship school. Knowing the mechanics of something is just as important as uh, being able to pull it off, whether it's power tool or not that's my kickback on the domino Shannon as far as conferences and marketing and whatnot is concerned you're exactly right I go to a lot of conferences but every single one of them is bought and paid for by my employer food, travel expense motel, the conference itself like you said could be a grand all paid for would I love to go to a woodworking school for a week? I would absolutely love to do that but then I'd have to foot the bill myself. And oddly enough, my wife likes taking vacation with me. So she's not going to want to sit somewhere while I go build a cabinet with someone. So you're absolutely right on that point. Matt, someone phoned in some advice on travel and getting sick. And they're absolutely right. I travel quite a bit myself. And yes, wiping things down on an aircraft are a good thing to do. Only one problem be careful how far you take that because as he said you do every surface that you touch as i started to wipe down the flight attendant she took issue with it they escorted me off the plane and that was pretty much the end of the flight matt that's what we call a joke or as shannon will tell you hyperbole just needed to point that out to you thanks talk to you later
4: oh man (laughs) sir could you please stop
1: wiping me down with that moist towelette (laughs) And don't wipe down the air marshal as he escorts you off the plane. Yeah, that's great. Have you have you seen that table, that sewing table that Bob built? He posted it on Facebook. No, it's gorgeous. Is it absolutely gorgeous? And I was actually—I don't know why. My initial reaction was, "You built that with dominoes?" I'm shocked. And then it occurred to me, why would I be shocked? Like you can't see them once it goes together. So there's a perfect example for the domino. Nobody cares. It's assembled. It is a gorgeous, like, Hepplewhite white style, string inlay, beautiful, beautiful table. Um, yeah, I, I commented on Facebook because it really is stunning.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Very nice. Well, thanks for that, Bob. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Tyler called in.
2: Hey, guys. Tyler Stevens here from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm calling in reference to your recent show of It Was Always Done That Way. Uh, To start out with, I'd like to just say thank you to Matt, who understands that people watching one video doesn't necessarily watch all the other videos that you've produced. I do enjoy a lot of your videos, um, but I don't watch every single one of them. Um, I enjoy Matt's videos on um, the recent table that he's built with the waterfall table, and uh, a lot of the videos he's been doing lately um, seem to have wood slabs in them. And I was just going to make a suggestion for Matt that maybe you should start a bandsaw mill or some sort of chainsaw mill and mill those up yourself. You probably save a lot of money in the wood that you use. Uh, Next, I've got Mark. And I really disagree with your parenting uh, of Mateo the other day. It just seemed rude to tell him that you're going to edit a video and then you don't follow through with your threats. You know, what kind of example are you setting for your children? Um, also, what kind of glue do you prefer? Uh, for Shannon, do you even know anything about wood? Who made you the expert? Just because you make everything with hand tools, that you've never used a planer. Poser. <clears throat> but beach is the only wood for hand planes. Once again, guys, thank you for letting me listen, and I hope you understood the sarcasm in this uh, message.
4: No, oh, we got it, Tyler. We got it. No, we get it. <laughs> Shannon's pissed though. What are you gonna do? Uh,
7: okay, so last one here is from William. Hey, fellas, Zev here from Queens, New York. Just calling with a little bit of a philosophical query. Um, I got a you know reasonable amount of experience in finishing, at least for you know a has Been doing this for a few years. Pretty much, you know, with the regular stuff, Armor Seal and You know, just hand rub, wipe on polys, and a few of the other. Uh, You know, similar products And I've gotten good results But my wife wants a new dining room table And I'm making the top And the base out of ribbon-striped sapelli. beautiful stuff Should be about 9 feet long And 45 inches wide So a nice big dining room table Out of solid 8 quarter ribbon-stripe She is not so confident In my finishing ability (laughs) In the sense that she wants this to look nice And she wants a built-up, beautiful, crisp Clean Finish. And frankly, I kind of agree with her that, you know, <laughs> so I've been looking into getting a spray gun, spraying and all the whole process. And I'm looking at tons of money, time and effort. A buddy of mine owns a chain of woodworking supply stores, mainly aimed at professionals. And he told me, he said, most of the woodworkers that he sells supplies to, they don't even do the finishing themselves. They send it out. I said, they send it out. Really? So he put me in touch with a finishing shop. Out in Long Island, called him up for six hundred bucks. He's going to do a closed pour, built-up polyester high gloss finish. He showed me some samples. The stuff is beautiful. He's working up a few sample boards, and the whole thing, the whole price is pretty reasonable. And that includes sanding, you know, all, you know, filling of gaps. All all the stuff that all of us hate, you know, the sanding, all that nitpicking stuff. You know, I can do the the joinery, the the woodworking, the milling, the board selection. They pick up all the slack. Kind of feels not exactly like I'm building this table, but I'm going to go for it because I don't really have the confidence or the interest to pick up this whole new thing of spray finishing, and I'll just stick with what I'm comfortable with. I just want to get your all... Thoughts and outsourcing the finishing while doing the bulk of the fun stuff. Take care, guys. Thanks so much for all the great content.
4: Well, I don't think he's alone in this thinking, you know, that that this is the not fun stuff. Look, there's a reason why. Here's Here's a little secret. I'm going to tell you something here. Very important. There's a reason why companies like Osmo and Rubio Monaco are doing really well with with the sort of um uh, with the content producer and also the slab table makers uh because finishing in and of itself is a discipline within woodworking and it's something that you could make a career out of you know it's it's actually way more complex than woodworking itself and there's a reason why a lot of these new builders gravitate to finishes like Osmo and Rubio is because they're they're dummy proof like you actually will have to work hard to mess them up But any finish that is built to some kind of a sheen, you know, and has a film involved actually takes a lot of skill, takes some research, and the more experience, the better. So you're going to find that a lot of these people don't have the time or inclination to get that experience. So they just throw the single coat oil finish on there, Uh, you know, and that's its own thing. Maybe we'll do, I'll complain about that on another show. But. (laughs) <laughs> but if you are looking at this, you know, for a piece you just don't want to mess up, there's a reason why a lot of people and pros will outsource this stuff, is because people who are good at finishing takes a long time and a lot of experience to get there. And a lot of people who like building or their primary skill set is in building they have not taken the time to get the skill set to finish and it's just better and easier to outsource it, get, maybe even get a finish that you might not even normally have access to or know how to work with and just it's done and you don't have to worry about it and you can go on to building the next thing. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of for doing that. I don't want to do that. I actually like finishing but I can absolutely see why someone would
7: want to do that and it makes good Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once.
4: business sense in a lot of cases too.
1: So Remember, uh, Tommy McDonald did that with his uh, yeah. Bombay and that like curly maple chest of drawers. And mm-hmm. he, I think he said it best. He's like, I don't want to screw this up. You see how much work
4: I put into this? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, he should have just put some uh, Rubio Monaco, Rubio Monacoat on there. I think it would yeah. be yeah. fun.
3: There you go.
4: I mean, he actually, that was one of the first examples that brought that to my attention. So yeah. we're talking like 2006-ish, 2007 uh, when he said that and actually surprised me at the time. I was like, really? And I was kind of having the same reaction as, uh, what did he call himself? I have his name as William, but he said Zev, Zev. or something like that. Um, Zev, yeah. uh, I, I kind of had the same reaction he did. I was like, really? You can you can do that? Is that okay? Like, can we do this? <laughs> <laughs> but since then, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of pros in the industry and it's just a smart thing to do unless you want to do a very simple uh, you know, single coat finish, or you just consider finishing a bit of a hobby like I do,
1: um, where well, you kind of like to geek out for a lot of pro shops. They don't have the space for a finishing room. So it has to be finished where the woodworking happened, which means all woodworking has to stop. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't make they're losing money to sit there waiting for finish to dry. And if you've got staff, you know, they're sitting around waiting for finish to dry. So you ship it out to a place that does nothing but finish has all of the like code and ventilation and everything, like the whole kit of gear that's required for this entirely separate thing. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly common.
4: Mm -hmm. What would you do? We're the weird ones as usual. Yeah, true. Exactly. If you, if you had, I don't know, is it, is it a budget? Is it, I guess, once you get some of the basic finishing stuff under your belt, it's not that difficult, so it's hard to justify paying someone else to do it, at least for yeah. for what we do. But, Matt, would you ever consider doing something like that?
5: Not personally. I mean, it, it's a totally different thing if you're running an actual business, making furniture. Yeah. Because you're being so much more efficient and you have less someone else to deal with. There's a reason why companies outsource all kinds of things mm-hmm. is because it's more efficient. But for me, I enjoy the process of finishing. It's another one of those skills that I can kind of claim that I might have. And um, I just, I really enjoy it. It's the one thing that I will never want to give up is that first coat. That's like, <laughs> yeah. that's like the, that's the money shot right there. That's what I've been like paying. I've been spending so much time worrying about grain and like grain flow and color matching and all that stuff. The moment that finish goes on, I see it for the first time for real. That's the moment that I want to have. And I could not give that up. Yeah, it's real gratifying.
1: There's, yeah. there's another, another niche industry idea. Second coat finishing.
5: There you go. Put, put on whatever first coat you want and uh, we'll just top it off for you. As long right. as Matt
1: gets his
4: Instagram picture, he's done.
5: That's where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> like, got to get my
4: IG <laughs> video. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. Good luck with that, uh, Zev. And let's get to a couple of emails here. Um, Matt, I think you got the first one.
5: I do. It has my name next to it. Yes, yeah, is from Jonathan. Uh, he says, "I have always wanted to make a uh, hero's Tansu dresser from the movie Big Hero. Have you ever wanted to make a piece? Have you ever to make a piece of furniture? Wow! Have you ever wanted a wow? Have you ever wanted a piece of furniture that you wanted to make from a movie or TV show? Which ones? Huh. Ha, ha, ha!
1: Mm. Yes,
5: yes. Is that it? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I want. I want to make the um." The Puzzle Desk from National Treasure. Oh. What was no, it, the Resolute Desk? You're crazy. No, that was the second one. That'd be nuts. I don't know. Whatever. It's cool.
4: Um, I, for me, not so much TV shows. I, I know there's, um, looks like a chest of drawers or some some kind of a drawer-laden piece <laughs> that was in. I don't know if it's in current seasons, but at least for a period of time. In The Big Bang Theory, in Raj's apartment, there is a dresser back there and it's not not so much the piece overall but there's a detail in the drawers where like you never really see it clearly enough. I gotta go back and look at it and see because this is, this is going back quite a bit um, but it looks like the uh, one of those situations where somehow the top of the drawer kind of folds out a little bit to become the pull, and it's almost like sculpted in so I don't know if it's just like an add-on strip that was then sculpted into place or how it was done but I'd like to see it closer. But it looks from far away uh, like a pretty compelling detail. So that's, that's kind of the only thing from TV. For me, the things that, that come to mind are video games. So a lot of times in video games.
1: Ooh, get, that's cool. I just Googled Raj's apartment. Oh, I didn't see what did you you're find talking. it?
4: Okay, yeah. I was actually trying to, to Google it myself, but I, I didn't get there fast enough. So you see what I'm talking about, though.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like this folded over.
4: Yeah, like it's it, it a lip that's created, drawer. and it almost looks like it's part of the, the drawer front.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, pretty neat,
4: right? Um, So what was I saying? Oh, video games. So there's a lot of video game art where you go into a building or somebody's house or whatever and you just see the, the stuff that some video game designer created and it is very cartoony. And I've always been tempted to try, almost like prop making, try to build that thing with real materials but keep the proportions, keep the cartoony feel of it uh, and bring that to life. So I've been tempted by that and never actually did it because I've, <laughs> I got busy doing other things let me see I'm no. looking for that picture yeah there it is it's pretty cool uh, Matt how about you anything you don't watch TV uh, do you
5: I don't know I have no idea the only thing I think of is the armoire from Beauty and the Beast <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> alright just because uh, when I built the high boy everyone thought it was an armoire from, from Beauty and the Beast but they're different pieces so yeah. I could have that with the secretary and a high boy I think that'd be pretty sweet
4: isn't that the like? so would you like try to build it in an animated stance or would oh it, god no no <laughs> No, no, no. That would be great. (laughs) Come on, man. No. anyone can do it, it's you. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. Okay. I don't know about that. All right, Shannon, I think you got the
1: next one. All right, this is from Steve. He says, I need some advice on staining cherry. I'm building, uh, I love this. I need advice on staining cherry. Please, let me finish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to take issue with that, I guess. Yes. Um, I agreed to build a baby crib for some friends. I'm a relatively new woodworker. I've never stained any of my projects. I like the look of raw cherry with an oil finish, like armor seal or simple varnish finish from Mark's DVD plug. But my friends don't like the look of raw cherry. They want a deep red aged cherry look. Um, I've tried to talk them out of it, but they're adamant. So, I've tried a bunch of stains on scrap pieces, and I can't seem to find a one that gives that deep red look. Everything comes out either purplish or brown. My concern isn't with blotching. I'm applying the stain over a single coat of seal coat, and that seems to be working fine. The color is the problem. So, um, this is there's actually some really good content out there. It's a little old and it's a little rough around the edges because it's our friend Charles Neal. And it's it's not rough around the edges. It's Charles Neal. It's just wonderful. <laughs> it says things like his, his his finishing is like as confusing as a woodpecker on a steel pole. I mean, he says stuff like that all the time. I love it. Love it. But Charles is real big on undercoating and using again, you're on the right track using the seal coat, not only to to, to um control the blotching, but also to seal between your color coats. Because in the way he puts it, he uses a lot of um water-based dyes. And again, there's a difference between stain and dye. Um, Dye has got much smaller particles. Dye is in solution all the time. It's not suspended like stain that, you know, so there's some good reasons to use dye. You're going to get a more consistent color there, but like he actually has a video out there where he does specifically an antique cherry finish. And in that, that kind of commercial cherry look, that deep red, almost mahogany look, I think is what people think of because they're all shocked when they find out cherries pink. Um, And he'll use like an orange undercoat or a yellow undercoat or in some cases like a brown undercoat. And I'm not talking like yellow, like traffic light yellow or um, in bright <laughs> orange, something that looks really garish because he said he's he's like painted high boys yellow in the past. Not painted, but dyed. And people are like, you just lost your mind. You just painted a beautiful high boy yellow. But then he starts layering over top of it. And it's amazing the results you can get. And the principle is the the primary hue that you want. Um, you make the undercoat that hue So if you want it, that deep burgundy red, you paint it, not paint it, dye it, that red (laughs) color, and then you layer the browns over top of it would actually mute and pull back that red color. Or you can just look at like a color wheel and look at complementary colors, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Yellow and blue make green, those type of things. And you can start to figure out, okay, well, if I wanted a green, maybe I would use a blue or a yellow undercoat and then start adding the overtones on top of it to get the green. That's bad example because we're not going to do green but you can begin to, to create that color by laying those different coats and by sealing them with shellac in between you have a lot of ways that you can actually like remove it and start over because you're using water base and you can actually flush the surface and clean some of that stain off if it doesn't work you're also on the wrong track by using sta- um, sample boards so definitely want to be doing sample boards but I urge you to play with dye specifically dye and not stain you're going to get a more uniform color there And play with the undercoat. All of those dark stains, you're right, they're all kind of purple. And because I think they're trying to do too much with one particular coat. And the fact of the matter is, usually that antique look is the result of lots of dirt. So there's also the idea of just using a glazing coat or something over top of it to really deepen the shadows. So you can take maybe a brown and put more of of, of a reddish glaze over top of it. And you'll get those those highlights of those overtones coming out. But it's um, So I would just say start Googling like advanced color techniques and Charles Neal and you're going to see some pretty cool stuff worth looking at.
4: I actually did a video a long time ago on a deep red mahogany finish. And this the system mm-hmm. I used there was dye stain first and then a right. gel stain on top of that to really right. punch home and intensify that color. So it's a layering, but not necessarily <clears throat> with, you know, you know, multiple layers of- uh,
1: Yeah, gel uh, stain. That's what I was talking about when I said glazing, gel stain. That's yeah, the, effectively
4: that's... Pretty, pretty pretty similar stuff. Um, so yeah, you can use those in combination and general finishes in particular has some really beautiful colors. So they have a yeah. water-based, regular water-based stain that is a antique cherry and then they have a water-based mm-hmm, right. dye stain that's vintage cherry. Uh, both of those may, even in one shot, they may get you where you want to be because that's the other thing. It shouldn't be too hard to get cherry to be- at least close to what he's looking for and I would hate to see him going down a direction of toners and things like that and so much layering. I mean, there's a reason to do that at times but in this case, I got to think you've, you should be able to convince your friends to pull back a little bit and you guys can meet in the middle <laughs> somewhere with a, a technique that's not too difficult for you to pull off and a product that's pretty easy to use. So check out those General Finishes products and then if, if that's not intense enough, Then look at their gel stain line, and you could always put that right on top of what you've done previously to get where you need to be.
1: I think it comes down to he's trying to do it in one shot. And if you've ever used those stains like poly shade type things, it just never comes out the right. And I've actually used both Vintage Cherry and and Antique Cherry from General Finishes. They're both really nice. I like Antique Cherry. It's got a little bit more red Vintage is a little bit more orange. Mm -hmm. But then, if you top coat it with, like, I use shellac, I use an amber shellac, it nails it. It really gets it. Um, Or you can just tint whatever it is that you are um, top coating. If you're using Armor Seal, you you throw a couple of drops of red in there or something to get a little bit of overtone. So you're applying a clear coat with a slight hue over top of it.
4: There you go. All right. So uh, let's see. Last question we have here is from Dustin. He says, summer is here. Do you take any special steps to protect your tools or lumber as temperature rises? I live in Phoenix, miss you, Mark, and have a small detached (laughs) shop space. (laughs) If I'm out there working, I run a wall-mounted AC, but otherwise everything heats up, likely past 100 degrees on most days between June and August, with humidity jumping all over the place depending on our monsoon season. Should I be concerned? Thanks for not quitting. Love the show. So, The only thing I ever really got concerned about uh, when those temperatures would skyrocket like that were the finishes, glues, liquid things, and anything volatile. Um, You really don't want that stuff to heat up that much because you're either going, you know, obviously there could be safety issues, but most of the time you're just looking at shortening the life of something. You put it, you know, expose it to that much heat and there could just be issues and finishes prematurely curing, stuff like that. So what I used to do before I had an air conditioned shop was I would just dump everything into a temporary box. So for the, you know, four, five months of, of horrendous hot summer, I would take those, the first house we moved into had a basement. So I would take them into the basement because it was always cooler down there. Uh, but if you put that box, like find a corner of the laundry room or something where, you know, anyone else in the house isn't going to have a problem with. Uh, If you have kids, something that they can't get to. But just in the house and, and those things will last longer and I think you'll be happier with that. As far as the tools go, um, you know the thing with monsoon is yeah you could see a spot of rust here and there but it, it, you know a lot of times that humidity is there and then it's gone um, so that is one thing to be concerned of if you have a run of days uh, where the humidity just skyrockets which definitely can happen um, you may especially if you're not all year long treating your tools with wax and things like that you may suddenly go oh my god you walked into the shop and there's just rust on stuff so you you may have to deal with that periodically but other than that there really isn't too much to do you know just I just remember days where I would go out there and touch my table saw and the surface was just like, wow, it's like I picked up a hot pan. It's that, it's that hot. So yeah, my <laughs> condolences. But honestly, you know, most of the stuff is going to be fine. You're not going to have to do much with the tools uh, to prepare them for that heat and just watch out for rust starting. It's not a bad idea to throw some wax on those things preemptively uh, before the season really, especially before monsoon kicks in. Um, I think you'll be fine. That's it, right? Yes. Okay. One more thing we have to get off our, uh, off our shoulders here before we go.
1: <laughs> the internet's a big, big blaze. Some stuff is good. Some stuff is great. But some things really suck. And that's the stuff we hate. Stay away from that sucky stuff. Let's keep the internet great. Oh, yeah.
4: You no, know, I always wanted to be the the guy who had like a deep enough voice to be the guy that goes yeah. Just never got there. It's unfortunate genetics. Um. Okay. So here's what I'm thinking. Um. Recently, you know, and I hope these things going forward aren't all just about like comments, <laughs> like <laughs> annoying, <laughs> annoying comments online. But that's a big part of the social environment that we play in is is the comments people give us. So I posted a particular technique on squaring up a, a corner and the, the post was just showing the results that I had. And the thing was it was a uh it, it was a bridle jointed uh corner so the outside had the bridle joint the inside just had a rabbit and i needed to square that rabbit up but when you do that you expose a certain amount of the bridle joint right cuz this is already glued together and it's just kind of nature of the beast there are things you could do to kind of prevent that from happening but it's, is is it worth the trouble is the question so i had this guy come in there this was on facebook and he was just giving oh, yeah. me flack and was basically like that is ugly it's horrendous i hope you're going to hide that you just didn't do it properly. So then I responded and just said, look, as, as soon as people start doing things like never, always, you should always do this, I kind of tune out because it tells me that you stopped learning. You stopped paying attention to other ways to possibly get something done. Uh, and I just don't like having conversations with people who use those sort of absolutes and, and don't leave any room for the possibility of, of things being done a slightly different way. So then the guy comes back and responds and basically repeats himself and says how ugly it is and how terrible it is. And then, this is my favorite part, after kind of slinging insults at me, then says, looks like you can't take criticism. And it just reminds me of this like, the bully technique in grade school, where someone is just bullying you, and this, you know, hey, I was bullied a little bit when I was a kid, um, but they kind of like they get in your face, they get in your face, and then they they get upset because you react. You know, like, hey, hey, come (laughs) on. Hey, don't, what are you doing, man? You know, and it's like, you were just up in my face, dude. What do you expect me to do? So it was that kind of thing. And I wrote him back. This is one of those times where I respond and then I delete it later because I'm like, this guy's just not worth my time to do this. (laughs) But it's worth my time to talk about it on Wood Talk. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so I'm like, listen, man, first of all, it is unfair of you to call what you said a critique. Just saying something's ugly, saying something was done incorrectly. It's like you came back here twice, you left two comments and both times all you did was sling insults, you did not provide any constructive feedback or maybe even a possibility of how you might have done it. What did I do incorrectly that you, you know, think is incorrect? Uh, how could I have done it better? Give me some you know, feedback that I can actually do something with that is a critique. That is something I will accept and think about and try to improve on. But if all you can do is come in and throw insults because you see something that isn't done properly, um, th- then you know, you're going about it wrong. So this is kind of another one of those public service announcements. If you're going to offer a critique and you're going to possibly insult something, at least wrap <laughs> that insult in something useful. right? Don't just crap on something and walk away. Like, so, so hopefully, if, you know, people listening to this show are probably very, for the most part, very reasonable people. If you want to critique something, critique it. Go ahead. You know, especially if the person is asking for a critique. Um, but you got to give something useful. You know, a critique is not that sucks. That's ugly. You know, that's just being an ass. <laughs> you know, so like, have you guys mm. ha- had this happen? I'm sure it, it, on your channels oh, and yeah. your comments, you've had that kind of quote unquote criticism come in. You ever, I mean, did you have to ever react to it and then have them say, you, you know, I guess you can't take criticism?
1: No. I mean, maybe years ago. I just usually ignore it now. Yeah. It's kind of where you get to, unfortunately.
6: Yeah.
4: Well, this is, this is just sort of a, a call for civil dialogue. Is that too much to ask? Let's just have some civil dialogue
5: well it was on Facebook so yeah probably too much to ask
4: Facebook is getting like that it, it seems more and more Facebook is the crotchety old stinker guy who yeah. like really thinks he knows how everything is done and I don't I've never heard from the guy before but suddenly drops in to let me know that I suck
5: <laughs> that's I'll get that I'll get that on Facebook nowhere else it's like this weird. person all of a sudden decides to look at everything that I ever posted and tell me all the things that are wrong with it yeah well Facebook like is their your... way better Facebook is your grandma's social
4: platform so yeah I don't spend much
5: time on there <laughs> Facebook's probably the worst if you want to get a hold of me don't Facebook's the worst I never like have I have zero desire to go on there and I go through phases of actually trying to use it because I know it's like somewhat important to use in my job position but I hate it
4: <laughs> yeah I get it I don't use it at all for woodworking stuff for me Facebook is purely family stuff that's about the only reason I go there so yeah, there
1: you go they're, they're for like Peloton interest groups <laughs> right. exercise actually uh, I should
4: I should, you know you bring up a good point there are some some hobby interest stuff and the guild group the guild group is one of the only reasons I, I go to Facebook that and family because the guild group
1: is awesome okay because well, the guild group it. is family it really yeah. is
4: extended family hairy smelly family <laughs> alright well that's the stuff we hate uh, alright I think that's going to wrap up the show for today Shannon can you give them the contact info and we can get out of here
1: talk online at gmail.com woodtalkshow.com slash contact <laughs> send us fun. a voicemail send it to that gmail account send us a comment at that contact url that's it that's it's all con- I got it was concise <laughs>
4: I'll give you that much that was okay. uh, very nicely done <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you have a wonderful woodworking week, and we will catch you next time.
1: I do sincerely. We love you all. <laughs> it's ever you
5: critiquers. <laughs> hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.